Welcome to the Men on Purpose podcast, featuring dynamic conversations with emerging and established visionary men on purpose. Thanks for joining us today as we celebrate the men on purpose who are committed, creative, courageous change makers, living their best, most fulfilling life possible. Now, here's the host of Men on Purpose, Ian Lobos. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Men on Purpose podcast. Today, we are going to have some fun. I promise you, this thing is evolving, elevating, and empowering every week. I'm going to make this thing better and better for you. That's my commitment. I'm going to get the best people on this mic, and I want them to deliver the highest level information, whether you're just starting in your development journey or you're going from level 20 to 50, we're going to deliver for you. That's my commitment. And I'm going to raise the bar every single time. Today, my guest, great friend of mine, Vaughn Gittin Jr., professional race car driver. And this dude literally is a professional fun haver. The dude's always smiling. And his mission in life and his purpose is to have fun at every single thing he does and put a smile on people's faces. I mean, how, how awesome is that? Now, what you're going to learn from this episode is the dude drops gold, after gold, after gold, after gold. So get your pen and paper ready because I'm going to tell you right now, if you're not taking notes, you're missing out. Yeah, listen to it all the way through. It's a long episode, but I'm going to tell you right now, it's gold from start to finish. I promise you it is well, well worth it. And Vaughn and I have a blast together. We talk about anything and everything. Nothing's off the table, but I'm going to tell you from, he's going to describe his start his build, how he developed what he developed, and how he had fun doing everything he's doing. I absolutely love it. Let me tell you a little bit about Vaughn. So Vaughn is a world champion drifter, and like I said, he's a professional fun haver. Vaughn Gittin Jr. is known for his aggressive, foot-to-the-floor, big driving style from behind the wheel of arguably the most recognizable cars in the sport, the 2019 Monster Energy Ford Mustang RTR Spec 5D. Also, we're going to mention Vaughn's websites within if you want to have some fun and just watch some wild, crazy stuff, you got to go to his websites. So in the United States, um, Vaughn won his first drift title in 2010, and it literally just rocked and rocked and rocked from there. He started drifting way back. He's going to tell us all about that. He's a three-time World Drift Series champion. In 2005, he became the first American ever to win a D1 Grand Prix event. When he stood atop the podium in 2005 USA versus Japan competition. And then Vaughn again brought the title home for the U.S. in the 2007 uh, World Championship. As a professional fun haver and World Championship drifter, Vaughn is not a one-trick pony. He literally spans all disciplines of motorsports and he just loves having a damn good time. He does off-road. He literally does everything. So Vaughn's based in my hometown, Baltimore, Maryland, and he's the owner and driver for the RTR Drift Team. And I didn't know this, and he reveals this in the episode, and I've known Vaughn for a long time, but RTR stands for Ready to Rock, and that's so cool. So in 2010, he launched the um, Mustang RTR, which was his vision for a new generation of Mustang that's available at select Ford dealerships worldwide. And if you've never seen this car, I'm going to tell you right now, it's mind-blowing. I'm not telling you that because I know Vaughn. I'm telling you that because it's one of the sickest cars I've ever seen. And um, he's got a uh, 2019, he introduced the Ford F-150 RTR. 
Um, and you can find out more about that at his website, rtrvehicles.com. In addition to uh, his competition career, he's an approachable media personality who's appeared on many popular television shows, uh, including Rob Dietrich's Fantasy Factory and Ridiculousness. He's hosted NBC Sports Programs. Octane Academy and appears regularly on Formula Drift TV. Look, this is going to be a long episode. Again, get that pen and paper ready. You're going to learn so much from Vaughn dropping nuggets of gold and having a damn good time doing it. So Vaughn, welcome to the Mental Purpose Podcast, brother. Well, thanks for having me, man. Pumped up, pumped to chat, Ian. Yeah, this is fun. It's, it's, uh, it's interesting. Like I was talking about, um, you know, how I know you in the intro a little bit. Now we live in the same town. We have the same friend group and, and it's interesting because sometimes you don't find out about what somebody does as their passion. You only find out what somebody does as like their, their sort of their profession and like that professional life. And even the first time I met you, which we were just talking about, like I, I had no clue. Like I saw the Ford badge on your truck. I saw a couple little things, but I'm, I, I never put anything together that you were, the level of what you are in that, in the world that you play in. And we're going to get into that. So take us back to early years, man. Like, like who were you as a kid? What kind of started to define you? And then we're going to move into some professional stuff. Yeah. So, um, you know, growing up, uh, I grew up in a a split household. Um, my mom and my father had split when I was, when I was pretty young and uh, my mom had married my stepfather when I was five. And, um, but I still, I had a great relationship with all of them. Like I was very grateful for what I had. Uh, I had an awesome stepfather, awesome mom. And my dad was just amazing. Um, and, uh, so, you know, growing up, my dad was a used car salesman. I think, you know, he was probably my biggest influence into what I've, what I've become. And, and, um, and the fact that, you know, he used to bring home all these cars I and mean, he was a gearhead. He, you know, he used to always bring in just weird, random cars my whole life. And, you know, I was that kid that, you know, by the time I was five, I could tell you a car by its headlights and taillights. Like, I was that guy, you know, matchbox cars. I mean, they literally had to pry matchbox cars out of my hands at my mom's wedding when I was supposed to be the ring bearer. You know, I, she showed me these photos. And, um, you know, so I, at four years old, I got a little go-kart, and I called it a little shitty yard cart. Um, back then it was the coolest thing ever, but knowing what yeah. it was now is just, you know, <laughs> you know, they made it cool and I'm not like being ungrateful for it. It's just, you know, it's just, but I had the time of my life with it. And, sure. you know, when I go visit my dad, we would go to these industrial parks and, um, you know, I vividly remember just going as fast as I could with this little thing and pulling the little paddle brake and like skidding. And I just like thought it was the coolest thing ever. And, um, you know, growing up, my dad would take me to, you know, street races and he'd do burnouts and donuts and, um, you know, further that, you know, teenage years, BMX, skateboarding, motocross. And, um, I just always loved, loved that. You know, I did play some like organized sports. I played soccer for like 10 years, basketball, lacrosse, baseball. Um, you know, I was, I was a pretty active kid and, uh, always had a lot of friends and just, you know, was just very social and, um, you know, very comfortable being me. Um, yeah. I did decent in school. Um, and then, um, you know, I went, when I got out of, uh, high school, I went to community college and, um, I, I knew that I was really good at computers. You know, I'm that generation, you know, I was on the 
BBS boards and, you know, 56 K modems and AOL. <laughs> like I grew up in that world and yeah. I was, you know, I very quickly at that age, I always had an entrepreneur mindset, you know, let me reverse a little bit. I was always, you know, and I was 12, 13, I was delivering newspapers. Um, I, you know, I saw, I was delivering newspapers and I would cut grass and do leaves. And so I would hire my friends to work for me, to help me go do grass and leaves around the yeah. neighborhood. In fact, I got a funny, funny photo of me driving my parents, uh, Heckinger's lawnmower <laughs> with my boy on the front facing me, like pushing the lawnmower behind him, um, going down the road. And like that, like that's what we would do. And that's how I would make money. And afford my what I wanted you know my mom was always I'm really grateful for this now I was pissed back then but my mom would always give me a budget of only $30 for shoes hmm. and I was a skater and like there's no way I'm wearing $30 shoes no, no. but I had to work to get my shoes and um you know those little things I mentioned these because I think they're important for any parents or anyone out there you know those little things made me who I am like not, you know, yes, they could afford to buy me the 60 or $80 shoes that I wanted, but the fact they didn't give them to me taught me, you know, working for uh, the things that I want. And so sure. that, that really stuck with me through my entire life. And, um, you know, following high school, you know, at the end of high school, you're like, Oh, what am I going to do? Uh, I think that's something that a lot of people, most people go to. And, uh, I realized, look, I knew computers and I knew the difference between me and my parents' generation because they had no clue. And like, I'm always teaching them. And I'm like, there's something here with this movement. So I went to school for uh, information systems. And, uh, and that um, basically very quickly, uh, while I was in college, sorry, I'm a little brain fried. Um, it's all good, man. While I was in college, I had a detail, I had a detail business and I was detailing. Um, I had my biggest, I was doing stuff for my dad who was a wholesaler and a couple little used car lots, but my big contract here, I was 18 years old and my big contract was with Peterbilt of Baltimore. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, I was making 500 bucks, 500 bucks a truck detailing. And so, um, you know, that was, that was, that was my hustle through college. And, and long story short, I went to college for a year and a half, realized I hated uh, math. I hated science <laughs> and all the things that you had to do to get yeah. your degree. And this is around the time where there was those ads like Microsoft certified $75,000 a year, you know? And, um, so I quit college and went and got Microsoft certified. And, uh, that effectively was what springboarded me into a career of, as an, as an IT guy that ultimately would afford me to build my first cars, afford me to go to my first events and then effectively, um, also, you know, teach me about marketing and sales and all the things that I need to do as a core to, to, to being a pro, a pro athlete and, and own the businesses that I do now. So, um, you know, thanks for the question. Cause it's always cool to, to look sure. back on those things. Sure. It's always fun, but, uh, yeah, man, I grew up loving cars, loving cars was always my hobby and my passion. And I always say, you know, the IT job was a way to support my drug habit of cars because sure. literally that's all I did. Like I worked and did car stuff. And, uh, that was that. So. That's awesome. I want to go back to something cause you mentioned that it was super important or life changing when your mom gave you that budget. Like what was going through your mind back then? Are we talking like six years old or 10 years old or, or how old were you? Cause 
I think that to, to expand on that, um, I had that same thing. And I remember the day that my dad said, all right, you got enough money to buy Air Jordans. And I, I don't know how, I remember how old I was, but we went to Hunt Valley Mall and it was like, I, I didn't, I felt disconnected. I felt like it wasn't real. Like I'm going to have those shoes that I really want. So I understand that. But what was that for you? Like, why did that, why was that so life-changing? Uh, yeah, I just remember like, I think it probably was middle school where I cared. Like, I don't think I cared. I cared a little bit in elementary school. Cause yeah. I remember like getting a pro player, which was like the competitor to starter jackets. And I remember at some point I had the pump Reeboks yeah. when I was playing basketball. But, um, but I, it really was like middle school, which is where I was like, you know, everyone else got these sweet shoes. I want cool shoes. I mean, shoes were like, I felt an important thing for some sure. reason, but uh, my mom just held fast on that. And uh, you know, it was important enough for me to go and, and buy them. Um, you know, and like, I remember back in the day, like middle school, like guest jeans were a thing or like in styles. I remember having a, she was only going to buy me the $20 Kmart Lee's and I needed the guests. So I had to figure out how to make the money, you know? And, um, so yeah, so that, you know, I, I, I was able to, I, I had a deal with my dad. He gave me, um, he would give me 20 bucks an A. And in elementary school, when you got like 20 grades, like that was sweet because I would get like five A's and get like a hundred bucks. Right. Um, but then as it got into middle school and high school, that wasn't as cool anymore. So, um, cause you only got like five or six grades and I sure. wasn't getting that many A's. Um, but, uh, yeah, so yeah, it was just a cool thing to me, you know, that, and, and looking back on like back then I was pissed. I was like, you're not buy me, you got 20 extra dollars. I can't get the $50 shoes. And but now, like, I know why she did it. And she's sure. always been very frugal. Um, and I wouldn't say that I'm frugal, but it's made me smart. Um, you know, I still to this day, I'm not like, uh, you know, you might argue and you, you know, see the things I've acquired with vehicles and things, but like, I'm still not like frivolous. Like I always have a justification for something. I'm certainly sure. not a guy that just like blow money, you know, no, that's, and that's, that's because of my yeah, I love that, man. So do you think that it was, <clears throat> I think like the schools that I went to and the, we, like even in middle school, like I had a, a, a starter jacket um, and I think that my dad and, and he'll, he'll say the same thing was, was living vicariously through me. He taught me the value of very hard work and hustle, but then he wanted me to have the things that his dad could never afford for him. So there was a really good balance. I felt like and it taught me a lot about hard work and hustle because he would always say to me, he wrote this, this uh, uh, piece of paper up on this bulletin board in our kitchen. He would say, here's how many hours I had to work in my business to get this for you, for you to enjoy this. So just associate hours worked, your own business and the things that you like. And that just programmed my mind to always be focused on being an entrepreneur. Interest, yeah, input gets your output. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's yeah. what I take away from. That. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty rad. Yeah. I mean, I think it was, you know, I don't know that it was like this master plan. I think sure. it was honestly just my mom being her and, um, you know, we, we were a middle-class family my stepdad had a good business. Um, and my dad was always just a hustler and, you know, I would say he was middle lower class, but like he lived however he wanted to live and he would, you know, he was fine. And so, I think it was just kind of a result, not necessarily a plan. It sounds like your dad 
had a little bit more thought out idea to inspire you and mine. I think it was kind of a a default, but in the end, still similar mindset. Same thing, right. However, like point B is point B, however you get there. So then like, were you, you, um, well, I'm sure you took that into when you started working and detailing trucks and making some, you know, back then that was good money, like really good money. 500 bucks a truck. That was good money. That's a big dealership. years old. Yeah. 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 You and I are the same age. I mean, that's like, that's 2000. That's, it's like 2000. Yeah. 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 It was 1998 for me. And you know, I had no overhead. It was me and my car with a buffer, some aluminum polish and wax, you know, (laughs) that was it. (laughs) <laughs> That's awesome. So when you started, like, so t- go, go back to, um, go back to like that turning point or that defining moment when you were, when you said, okay, obviously you already knew that cars and power and I mean, what you do is, is literally teetering on the edge of control at all times. And you, and I, when, when I had, the way I refer to you is a master of control. Because I watch your videos, I watch your pedal, your pedal movements, and dude, it's like an art form. It's insane. So, how did you know that you wanted that? And then, how did you start? Like, what was that popping point where you bought the first car? I think I've have I seen I've seen your first car, right? That's the one that was in your garage. Okay. Yeah. And you just bought yeah, that was that? my first race car. It wasn't my first car that got me into it, but yeah, that was my first race car that I built. And so, funny jokes, just funny story. So, my dad was a wholesaler. It was all connects. So. My dad was a wholesaler and cause I got into what I do really on accident It's just been like a, a really funny natural progression. My dad was a wholesaler and he would buy cars for my friends. And so this particular friend bought a Nissan 240 SX okay. and I had to drive it home from the auction lot because it was on my dad's tag. And yeah, anyway, so when we left that dealer lot, I like kicked the clutch and did like a little power slide. And I was like, yeah, you know, it was a little 2.4 liter, four cylinder, you know, Nissan 240SX. And um, so a couple of days later, he tried to do that leaving our community college when I was still in community college and spun in and ran right into a tree. <laughs> oh, no. And so this car that he bought for 6,500 bucks, which was a ton of money to me in 2008, sure. sorry. 1998. I was going to say, that was, yeah, 1998. Yeah, 1998. And it was totaled. And he had no mechanical abilities. So anyway, I bought it from the insurance company for a thousand bucks. Nice. And it sat in front of my parents' house in pieces while I could afford to, to put it together. And as I was rebuilding that car and looking up parts and how to hook it up and things, I came across this sport of drifting. And so once I got that car together, um, you know, I used to go to industrial parks and play around and do donuts and this and that. And, and, um, eventually bought like a little better car and did engine swap, you know, the SR 20 engine swap, which is a Sylvia motor from Japan, which yep. for any car nerds watching, you know, what I'm talking about. Yep. And like, that was like amazing. You know, I had this 225 horsepower turbocharged two liter. And, you know, I would go to drag strip and might or might not engage in some street stuff back in the day. And through that process, you know, finding drifting, this was like this, you know, now we're fast forwarded 2001, 2002. At the time I had a car that I'd started to build and and it was really cool. And drifting started coming to the U S and there was organized events uh, happening and popping up all over the U S and uh, so I started going to some events in New Jersey. It was called uh, Drift Out Wednesday. It was every, when, every, last, every last Wednesday night of the month. 
So I would leave, uh, you know, I would go to this event and, um, you know, the first couple of times I went there, like I had realized like the skateboarding, the, the motocross, all this and all the playing around industrial parks, everybody was kind of like, yo, who's this dude? Cause I was like, I was ripping and like, I didn't know, but I was ripping. And, um, and you know, I really fell in love with like the camaraderie and the lifestyle. And it was just like skateboarding with cars. You know, sure. you'd go out, you do a run, come in, all your boys, you'd be like, that was sick. You know, you'd give each other props and I just fell in love with it. Um, you know, it was cars. It was showing style and personality from behind the wheel. It was creative. All the things that I am and I love is just me. And um, so, you know, I made, I started to make a name for myself on the East Coast, you know, 2003-ish. Won a couple competitions on the East Coast. I was winning and doing really well at the Drift Out Wednesday, little mini competitions they had. And uh, I got invited out to this event in California. And uh, here I am, Maryland boy. Like, I haven't, I'm in Ocean City in Florida. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. um, I got invited out to California where all this was happening. And, you know, now I'm working at the, the IT gig, um, IT manager. I mean, I was making good money, you know, 22, 23 years old, making 70, 80 grand a year yeah. with nice, you know, nice bonuses. And so I got invited out to California. And I, I remember this vividly. I maxed my credit card out. The trip cost me like eight to 10 grand shipping my car. I sent to get a, a proper differential put in it. It's the first time I bought new tires ever because up until then I was dumpster diving. But I got invited to this event to do a demo or an exhibition with all these Japanese drivers that like I had been like inspired by and now I'm going to get to drive with them. And so, you know, I, I did that, but I didn't just show up to drive you know, I felt like this could be my opportunity. I'm in California, you know, this is where everything happens. And so I made a, a little deck and a proposal and went around to all these vendors, you know, had a good showing at the, the exhibition and went around, introduced myself to all the people in the industry. And following that event, the group from my first team, uh, Team Falcon had called me and, uh, you know, their call was like, hey, uh, you know, we want you on our team. What do you think about painting your car our colors? And I was like, what? what? Like this was putting me on the team with like these guys that like brought drifting to the U.S. And, and um, you know, I painted my car the colors and I, my deal was getting 10 tires in a vent. This was the first Formula D event. So this was 2004 now. Um, I had, you know, built this car. Once I got that call, you know, they had some sponsors. They hooked me up with suspension sponsors, wheel sponsors, and I'm, you know, building my car in my garage. And I built my first Formula D car in my garage. I went to my first event in Road Atlanta in 2004, and, um, and you know, I trailered it, an open car trailer on the back of my truck. I took off work early, got to the event, finished third. And it was literally the first time I pulled a handbrake at Road Atlanta. Really? Uh, I was like, it was, yeah, it was first time I ever pulled a handbrake. I was always just, you know, power overing or weight transferring. And like, yeah. so this was, you know, early days of dr American drifting. And Wait, I, I gotta, go, gotta go back for a second. I gotta go back to something. So before you get too far into this story, I, how did you, like, that's what I wanted to ask. How did you know what to do? How did you have that level of skill? I mean, you had to have been practicing, you had to have harnessed that, that focus and determination in some capacity to be, you, nobody's natural at anything. It's, it's, it's a natural gift to want it badly enough. And then you hone the skill, right? how did you hone that skill? 
Yeah, I mean, traditionally that's it. But like I said, like, well, this was just a natural progression for me. Like, so being in cars, so the go-kart. Right. And then being in cars with my dad and just being someone that's aware. And then all the intramural sports that I did taught me the hand-eye coordination. Then the skateboarding and BMX and motocross taught me the weight transfer and managing weight because driving cars is only managing weight. Yeah. And so I really, really chalk it up to motocross. Like that is the absolute ultimate. Anybody that wants to do anything with vehicles, motocross is the trick. Um, Number one, there's consequences if you crash. Yeah. Uh, Number two, if your body and you're not managing the weight and getting on throttle and doing the right things, you know it because you're off the bike. Yeah. So – um, that for me was really it. So when I got in a car and started doing the things, donuts and power sliding and, you know, ultimately drifting, um, it was just very natural for me. Like I was comfortable at speed. I knew I had to look where I wanted to go. So all these things just flowed. Like I never tried, like I was never like, I need to learn drifting. It was just, I could do it. Yeah. And, and that is one of the reasons why I was so good so early not not being arrogant but why i was at the higher level so early was because i was able to be on that first wave and you know they say timing is everything and you know had i been three to four to five years later i would have been like everybody else that's trying to break into this sport now which is like breaking in the major leagues there's so many people doing it and you know, I just, I made a name for myself quickly because of my talent, because of what I was doing behind the wheel. And I capitalized on that. You know, I just kept going to events and doing what I could do and took a business approach to it very early on okay. versus a lot of people that I was driving with that haven't been able to have the career who took the hobby. I'm just having fun. I'm a little laxy daisy, you know, doing it. Yeah. So that's what really took me further. Quicker. All right. So talk about that. That's what I was looking for. Like there's something that separates you. Dude, you're, you're not a guy that just drifts on the weekend for fun. You're a professional at the highest level in the, at, at the top of their, at the top of the game. Talk about that mode because somebody's listening to this right now who has a job and has a side hustle or a hobby that they love to shift that. Like what was it about your yeah. mindset and the business model that you ran? Like, and, and I also want you to talk about the the um, uh, sheets that you made and like the, would you say a business plan that you took around to all the sponsors? Yeah. 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 So, yeah. So I go back, I mean, first of all, you know, I'll tell everybody like running your own business and being an entrepreneur is not for everybody. Like if you value your time and, and uh, you like your box schedule, like do that. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Because, for me, though, there's always been something inside of me, like watching my dad hustle. Like, I've always just have an entrepreneur mindset. Like, I'm always seeing things and how to do them better and how to leverage it better. And whether it's my business, someone else's business, I don't know why. It just is there. And I was yeah. wired that way. So, constantly growing up, you know, whether it's being the paper boy and trying to figure out how to do that efficient or hiring a friend or the detailing business, you know, all, and then getting into IT, like, yes, I was an IT professional, but through that, I was the one being marketed to. They wanted me to buy their software. They wanted me to hire them. Same with sales. So, like, all of these things kind of got ingrained in me. And, and being someone that's, I think the key is being aware and not being so face value. And, like, 
not being on the phone and being like, oh, this guy's trying to sell me something, like hear him. I would understand his tactic. I would be more in his brain than I am focusing on him at face level. And like those things just kind of stuck with me. So when it became time for me to be the marketer or the salesman, um, it was just a natural thing for me because, yeah. you know, I didn't go to school for any of this. I just learned it. And to me, it's like common sense. It's like, if I want you to give me money, what am I giving you? Sure. And so it went, went yeah. And so like I, I reverse engineer that every way. I mean, like my thing is like, I don't even go to people. So I'll, 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 I'll come to that in a second where, how I approach it now. But so through that, you know, it was just trial and error. But the one thing that I think is most important that a lot of people don't do is understand what your customer needs so instead simple. of understanding what you want from them yes. and trying to get that first. Yeah. You always need to find out what their goals are and be realistic with whether you can help them with that goal yeah. or you can't. And be honest with yourself. And the number one reason for me, and the one thing I'm jumping ahead a bit, but the reason why I have the long-term deals and I've been working with people for so long and year after year, even through pandemics, you know, I still am, am generating the revenue through what I do is because I don't do stuff that I don't believe in and I don't do stuff that I know I can't deliver to that person because that's just a recipe for short-term sure, success. Sure, yep. And, and I've, always, I've always been like that. And, you know, that just goes from being a people person and being an honest person with good morals, I think. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, it's really, and again, thank you for this. I always love doing these types of conversations because it yeah, makes man. you think back on how, you know, how, how to do these things and how to help other people figure it out. Because for me, again, like my path has been my, my route. It hasn't been like this structured, Hey, you're going to do this, then do that. Like I'm not a built and engineered race car driver. Like a lot of the pro athletes that you see, like a lot of them are like, this was structured and like through their process, like right. for me, it's just a natural progression of who I am. And, and it's also why I think I love it so much because I, it's, it's just flowed to that, you know? Yeah. I mean, you had, it sounds like you had a, a focus and really didn't let, it's almost like, uh, like blinders in a positive sense where you just didn't let all the fluff, the noise, the shit from everybody else and everybody else was thinking. Like even when those guys were kind of just, it was their hobby and they were just doing it on the weekends. And even though they had, they might've had a high skill, they weren't thinking of, of how do I take this to the next level? How can I, these sponsors want people like me, like that guy, but how can I make myself attractive so that I can give them what they want? and in, in turn get what, what I want, that's a, that's a mentality of a great salesperson or, or a, um, uh, an enroller. Like I call it enrollment. You're, you're, you're enrolling somebody in a possibility and they're doing the same thing to you. And if you sell them, like if you walked around to all those sponsors and sold them on you, they'd be like, bro, you're, you're one of the rest of these guys. Do you have a, did you have a mentor or anybody besides your dad, like within form, within drifting, do you have a mentor at, at any point that somebody said like, Vaughn, you got a talent, man, stay focused right here and, and just follow a couple pieces of advice. Well, no, I know. I would say early on, you know, it was just, it was really trial and error. Um, you know, I read some sports marketing books and things, but they did not resonate. Like they were for like bigger business. You know, the interesting yeah. thing about drifting is, it wasn't NASCAR. 
You know, like yeah. NASCAR is a process. It's like, hey, I want $100 million, and this is what you get, and this is the TV time, and this and that. Drifting was just scrapping. And right. so I had to kind of develop a value proposition and a way to get value. And, um, I, you know, I built something from nothing. I mean, the sport was nothing. People weren't, didn't think they wanted drifting. Yeah. I had to talk them into it. And you know, so for me, you know, to your point of other people just doing it as a hobby, like I saw an opportunity. Sure. And I saw import drag racing and other motorsports kind of like fading away. And I saw drifting, like it is so exciting. Like if you have a if you have a heart and a brain, like you can't keep your eyes off of this sport. And I was like, this is it. And so, but me going in sponsorship, I like to say I had this big 10-year plan, but it was initially like, yo, I want to do this. I love it. I believe in myself, but there's no way I can keep afforded doing it myself. Right, right. Even though I was making great money, I didn't want to blow all my money on it, you know? And so I always had a business agenda on the back end of it because I was spending so much time on it and it was like, I wasn't gonna be able to keep it up forever. So, um, you know, yeah. So, so for me that, that, that just kind of made it what it was and, you know, made me focus on curating business out of this hobby while I was doing it to help me be able to continue doing it. And so, um, going back to, you know, the starting something from nothing. I think this is pretty key. Like, so my strategy in the beginning, like drifting wasn't on TV. It was in magazines. Um, you know, so back then all these sponsors were paying like five to $10,000 per ad page of, you know, magazines, import tuners, super street, you know, all yep, the magazines. Yep. And so I couldn't guarantee TV time. You know, all I had was the audience at events. There wasn't social media yeah. and then magazines. So the sponsors were spending money to get ad placement through organic coverage in magazines and or TV and other media. So what I did, and I thought of, I don't know how or why, but I thought of this myself. I'm like, all right, well, here's the deal. I'm going to get these contracts and I'm going to get all of these sponsors. I'm going to take little contracts from the big guys, but I'm going to get them to commit to using me as their guy in their ads. And then I'm going to get other sponsors to help every time they're in an ad to pay and give revenue. And so that's how I developed my, uh, I had marketing partners and that's how I developed my business to start. So every time my car was in an ad, you know, these sponsors that were seen would pay X dollars. Yeah. Um, yeah. and, and that's how it started. And then you know, then as drifting started to grow, then I started getting, you know, we were on TV. Then I started getting some contracts. But I mean, from 2002 to 2007, my life was drive 45 miles from Glen Burnie, Maryland to Arlington, Virginia, work, go home, work on my car. When there was Formula D, I would leave early on a Wednesday or Thursday either fly or drive to the event. My dad would drive the car to the event after uh, the first year. And then, um, and then, uh, yes, I did that for a few years. Come home on a red eye on Sunday, go to work Monday. And then it just got to be where it was like, I was half foot in, half foot out, superstar on the weekends, IT professional nerd on the, during the week. And I was like, I got to the point where I'm like, look, I'm, I need to chase my passion. And sure. this is that breaking point 
that you're talking about for the people that are that are that are wanting to get out of their job they have a passion and and uh my reality was okay if i quit my job my cushy job i still am always going to have my brain i can always get another it job yeah this opportunity right now if i don't do this i'm never going to know i'm going to kick myself in the ass for the rest of my life and if i don't do it it could be the worst thing i ever did yeah so i quit my it job and and went all in and uh you know at that time i think i probably had like forty thousand dollars over the contract so walked away from a hundred thousand dollar plus a year job for forty thousand dollar a year contracts but for what i loved sure and i was willing to make the lifestyle changes and not you know save the bank the money and this and that to try it out and the one thing i always tell everybody and one thing i did really good was i kept my passion in check with my reality and that's the one thing that people always ask me and I always say just make sure you keep your reality in check because it's very easy to chase your passion like a drug and give up everything for it and next thing you know you have nothing right and so for me for me that was just an absolute key that I tell everyone that I did that well like I stuck in there with the IT job until I felt that I was at a place that I had curated the foundation. So meaning if you're somebody that's doing something, you know, love that, that you're is kind of your means to an end, acknowledge that and put the plan together to where you're going to be comfortable enough with your passion, right? Maybe that is $20,000 a year selling your best art that you've made. And once you get $20,000 a year, you can live. Well, quit your job and chase the art. Once sure. you can pay your bills with your art, and see if it goes further, you know, whatever it may be. And so that for me was a huge key because I've watched, I've watched tons of friends lose everything, uh, right. chasing drifting specifically. And, um, you know, obviously I've now used drifting to, to, to evolve into many other things, but this was my springboard. And, um, you know, the relationships I've built, the, the image and, um, you know, the image of, of, of myself and, um, you know, it is, is also been a huge value, right? They, they, everything is, when they say it's a small world and don't burn bridges, that's one thing that I, I have never done and, and has been a huge, huge key to, to the success. I love that. For anybody that doesn't know what drifting is, you know, first of all, actually, let me, let me go back for a second. You, you said you took a business approach. Uh, uh, your buddy, Greg Biffle, we had him on the show uh, we actually launched the episode last week and Greg said the same thing. The guys that have that raw talent that come in and think that they can just glide on the raw talent. They're the first ones out. And when you think about the business mindset and you understand what the sponsors want and that you're not invisible, you're not invincible. And there's somebody else who can cultivate talent just as high as yours because you're now a model. Maybe unless you're like Michael Jordan or something, who's kind of like the only untouchable athlete out there perhaps, but like, he said the guys that run it like a business and are, are, in, are in alignment with their sponsors, they go far. And the guys that just get in a car and drive and are disconnected from the business side, they don't go as far. And that's probably who you're talking about. So then like what happened with um, – um, what happened like how, how did – or when did big sponsors like Monster and Ford – like when did that really happen? Were you always driving a Mustang by the way? Yeah, no. So, um, 
Yeah. So, so yeah, I started out in 240SX and right. in 2005, Ford debuted the Mustang, that new Mustang. And um, everyone probably remembers the 05 Mustang. It was kind yeah. of the modern throwback. throwback and it was sick. And I was like, yo, that's sick. I was never a Mustang guy, but that's rad. And it would be amazing to bring some American muscle into drift. So my team and I at the time went and bought a car for five grand over sticker because they were impossible to get. Mm. And then I fell in love with the Mustang in 2005 and there was no Ford, there was no monster. Um, but as soon as that happened, I started beating on Ford's door. Like, yo, I'm right yeah. here driving a Mustang in this cool sport and you need to be here. <laughs> and for two years I pounded on the door. They're probably sick of my emails. <laughs> and then eventually in 2007, I got hooked up with Ford and I got a little parts budget and uh, some body budget, some body parts and stuff like that. And then, 2010 uh, is when I got my first uh, first job, uh, or sorry, got my first deal with Ford. I had also been working on Monster from about 2007, 2008, and then finally in 2010, I did a deal with Monster. And that's also the same year I won my, my Formula Drift Championship. I won a couple world championships before that, but I won my Formula Drift Championship, which was to that point uh, the greatest thing I, you know, one of the biggest things I had done. Um, one thing I would like to step back, you asked if I ever had a mentor and um, there wasn't really any mentors. You know, there's a lot of people growing up that like I had a lot of respect for, but you know, Ken Block is a good friend of mine. And um, I wouldn't say that he was a, a mentor, but the things that he was doing inspired me um, probably starting in 2000, 2008, 2009. So I started working with him and, you know, he owned DC at the time. And, um, this was before he was, he was just starting to do uh rally. In fact, maybe it was 2006, seven is when it was, um, yeah, 2007 when it was. And, uh, he, we, he and I collaborate on some shoes and he's, he was doing some rally racing and this was before Jim Conn, but like, yo, Ken started DC. Like yeah, I, you hey. know, he's a smart dude. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I was grateful to have a friend in him and like, I didn't, I didn't, you know, rack his brain, but uh, you know, until more recent, you know, I, as, as things got bigger, you know, I start, you know, I, I do have him to confide in and, and speak to about, some things and how he approaches things and how he has done things in the past. But, um, you know, he was definitely somebody that I'd say is influential and someone that I am grateful to have on the side. Um, you know, he's not necessarily someone that's taken me under wing as a mentor, but he's always been there for me. And, and I've been there for him as well with, with other, um, you know, things that, that, you know, we help each other with, with things. So, um, a, a really cool relationship there. Um, and uh, so where were we going after that? Uh, sorry, I, I stepped back there. And then we said, and I went to Greg Griffel. And oh, yeah, so the drivers. So yes, in motorsport, if you're just a driver, you know, back in the day, this was fine. Right. You were a good driver. You were winning. You were going to get money. Things are going right. to happen. Now the thing is, there are so many media outlets, right? It used to be motorsport on TV was super valuable. Well, guess yeah. what? People don't watch TV anymore. You know what I mean? Like, so there's all these other ways that people are getting attention. And so now you have to be a marketing team first 
versus a racer. Yeah. And that mindset does not gel. You know, you very much meet someone and very quickly you're like, oh, they're a racer or nope, they're a businessman. Yeah. And, um, you know, fortunately my path has turned me into a businessman first and I acknowledge being behind the wheel of badass cars is my reward for the business and providing value for my partners. Love and that. so, you know, you can't put the car before the horse anymore. Like it doesn't, it, it's not possible unless you're still in some of these, you know, older, more, I don't want to say older, but more traditional motorsports yeah. that people are still cutting big checks for. Um, but that that's running out. And, uh, you know, that, that's a factual statement. All you have to do is watch what's going on in big motorsports and look in the stands. Um, so, um, you know, I got a lot of love and a lot of friends in those motorsports and my partners are in them and they are still finding value, but they're really starting to have to shift their mindset and how sure. they're doing things and leveraging it because it doesn't just come from one thing anymore. And so, uh, that's another lesson. I think obviously this podcast about learning things is like, not all things stay the same. So you have to constantly evolve. I mean, you know, this from the yep. real estate game. I mean, it was a whole different world, you know, you know, it was just open houses and signs out front and the, the mailers and now <laughs> targeted marketing on social proper videos, engaging content to sell a house. Yes. You know what I mean? So, have to you have to evolve or you're going to be left behind but dude you say that really you say that so well and i i preach this to all the people that i coach whether it's in real estate or other businesses you know in our coaching business we've got hundreds of clients that they ask me about marketing and i'll say to them look you gotta you you gotta just be you and authentic on video you can't become a a character or this completely different person. Yeah, we might amp up the energy a little bit. We're on camera and like give the give people like a little bit more, but it's still authentically us. And I tell realtors all the time, if you are afraid to get on video, just understand that technology moves so fast today that while you're waiting to get on video or while you're waiting for your mind to change or something like that to happen, technology will surpass you and you'll become someone with a key to open a door and that is replaceable big time. You've got to stay out in front and you've got to be marketing because real estate agents have this disconnection. I think probably United States is probably specific, but around the world, they are marketers who happen to sell real estate. And that's just what you're talking about, which is the business first and then the, the kind of the profession or the, 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 whatever it is, what you're doing. Like you have to be an understanding of a marketing mindset and what people are looking for. You can't just put the house on the market and hope that it sells. It just doesn't work that way. And plus you owe your clients a lot more than that. So I love that mentality of like, if you don't evolve with the times because they are changing with or without you, they don't ask your permission. You're going to get left behind. Don't do that. Like be aware. Don't be afraid. Just take a chance on yourself like you did, like I've done and move toward that goal. That's it. Nice and easy. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, and, you know, like, you know, I mean, you know, you know what I mean? Like, and it's, it, it's hard to, you know, a lot of people maybe aren't as deep, but like, if you're not enjoying what you do, sure. it's not what you're supposed to be doing. And like, I enjoyed it, but that's one thing for people. Like if you're, if you're not enjoying what you, I enjoyed it, but I enjoyed drifting more. Right. So to me, because I was enjoying that more to me. It, it meant that it was to me, that was my passion and what I was meant to do. And, 
and to the core, it's not driving. Like now later in life, like I've realized that my purpose is putting smiles on faces and inspiring people. And you know, that's the true, that's my true purpose. But that purpose was found inside of my passion. And I, you know, at face value, you would think it's racing or whatever, but no, it's being there, being with people, performing, inspiring people and, and doing stuff that, that puts smiles on people's faces. And so, um, that's the one, that's the good test, you know, the self litmus test of, am I doing and serving my purpose? Do I wake up in the morning excited to do what I'm doing? Yeah. No. Okay. What do you wake up excited to do? Try to do that Yeah. because that is what is going to fulfill you in this short life. That's insane, man. So for, for the audience listening, I, I listen, there's a lot of, there's a lot of gold here. Let me just back off this for a second. What I want to talk to you about the involvement of your skills. Let me brag on you for a second. If you, for all of you listening, when you get done listening to this podcast, you got to check out a few things of Vaughn's, but one is his Facebook page, which is just Vaughn Gittin Jr., right? Yeah. It's a, it's a facebook.com slash official Vaughn Gittin Jr. And then Instagram is just Vaughn Gittin Jr. Okay. So official Vaughn Gittin Jr. G-I-T-T-I-N. Like I know Vaughn and when I watch, dude, I was telling you before we started this interview, when I watch these videos of your footwork, it's like dancing on those freaking pedals. Like I don't even believe that you're doing anything, but the camera view outside of the car, you're going 120 miles an hour toward a turn. All of a sudden, you just pivot that freaking car at a 45 degree angle and your ass is rolling through the turn. Your head's not swiveling. You're just focused on where you're going. Your feet are all over the place and you're just the focus and the attention, like how the hell did you get that skill level? Is it just an involvement? Like you just tried that e-brake and tried this and tried the double, like heel towing and like what the yeah. hell? Yeah, it's just practice. I mean, it's like, you know, how do you hit a baseball? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like how do you catch a baseball, you know, you know what you're looking for, you know, what tool does what. And, um, you know, early on, I certainly wasn't as smooth as I am now. I mean, Sure. One thing that I really did is, um, you know, so as I got into professional, you know, I started realizing that my brain was getting in my way, right? So um, the mental game for me. So, like, the physical skill, that's one thing. Like, that's just practice and motion yeah. and, you know, reaction training and, and, you know, being someone, again, skateboarding, BMX, motocross, like, I never stopped. You know, sure. my whole life I've been doing hand-eye coordination-related things. But once I got on a professional level, like I really started honing these skills and taking it serious. And, um, you know, I work, I've worked with some, some really good, um, trainers on a physical level, but the biggest, the biggest trick in my arsenal has been my mental game. Okay. And, um, you know, drifting as a sport, you know, NASCAR and other racing, you know, you make a mistake on a turn, you got 499 of them left to fix it. Right. Drifting you or like X games and action sports, you have to be the best you've ever been right now. And you have to turn it on and turn it off and turn it on and turn it off and turn it on, turn off. So for me early on, like I would go out and I'd kill it in practice. But then when the pressure was on, you know, now I got these big sponsors is my job, my career, all this pressure. Yeah. Um, I would make mistakes and when it counted and qualifying and competition, you know, I was just getting in my own way and I'm like, 
I got the physical skill because I do it in, in practice all day. Here's a video. Look at me killing it. Why couldn't I do that then? Yeah. So I hired a sports psychologist by the name of Ross Bentley. He also writes some books called Speed Secrets. And this stuff's relevant to anything that you're doing, but specifically sport. And um, just taught me some exercises, um, you know, breathing exercises, which now I do yoga and some meditation stuff. Um, but, you know, 2008, I was struggling, you know, this is 12 years ago. And, and I've been a student of my brain since then. Uh, read some great books, uh, Mind Gym. Um, uh, what is it? The Art of Archery is another one. Uh, is another good one, you know, breathing techniques for archers. Um, but I've, I've, I've done a lot of things to hone my skill and my craft to, that allows me to be, you know, get out of my car, be talking to fans, handshaking, talking to sponsors, doing video stuff, and then get back in my car and be one of the best dudes in the world. You know yeah. what I mean? Like that, that is the biggest challenge for my sport specifically. So that's what I've honed the most. My physical skill is just a result of being in the car, practice, and having the opportunity to drive as much as I can. Uh, video games and sims uh, are really good these days. So always stand behind the wheel and always thinking about it. You know, visualization uh, is another key. And uh, I believe in visualization for every part of my life. Yeah. Um, seeing it, you know, before, you know, I'm sitting in my new home right now. Um, you know, before that I saw myself and my family in this and where we were going to be. And, you know, um, you know, I might be getting a little bit deep for some people, but manifestation and visualization is real. You know, you, you, the, the law of attraction is real. Yep. What you put out, you get. And, um, you know, so for me, um, you know, that works in that, but the fact when it comes to driving and, and physical things is that your brain doesn't know, um, that it's in a car or it's not. You lose the G-forces, you lose those sensors, but I can, you know, I, to this day, I can sit in the car and drive a track and be tenths of a second off when I'm in the car. And I just slow down, I breathe, I get to that place in the zone, and I visualize and do laps and do laps. So before I get to a track, I've already done 100 laps. Guess what? I'm 100 laps ahead of everybody else that's not doing that. And so, you know, that's been, that's been a, um, you know, 10 years ago, I wouldn't have told you this stuff, but I'm at the point in my life and career where I've now realized that what you put out, you get back. Um, but more so, I'm more passionate about helping people achieve their goals because when I look back on this stuff, like it looks hard and it feels hard to a lot of people, but it's not. You just have to flow and believe and do it. And, um, and so I, I, you know, I love sharing those, those messages, you know, and uh, perfect, man. so yeah, that, that was kind of been my tricks and how I curated my skill. Dude, I'm so glad you got into that because it's something that we talked about, I don't know, a couple months ago when I was at your house and we started getting into visualization and, and it's something that I do every day. I do it with my daughter. So every morning my daughter and I get up and we brush our teeth, we hydrate our bodies and we say our affirmations in the mirror. And then on Sundays, we like behind me, behind this black curtain is a huge whiteboard and behind, below that is my daughter's little vision board for her week. And hers is like, have fun, be positive, be nice, be kind, you know, uh, hang out with my brother, things like that. But I'm, I'm programming her mind to visualize what's ahead. Same thing like you're talking about, because I learned that about 10 years ago um, in business. And in everything that I do, I'm writing out what I see, what's going to happen, because now I know 
that walking into that office and having that conversation has already happened in my mind. It's already rehearsed. So just like you said, you've already driven that track a hundred times. So for anybody that's listening who thinks visualization and the law of attraction is bullshit, you are lying to yourself. You're talking to one of the world's best on, you know, like you're listening to one of the world's best right now at a sport, whether you know it or not, it is a very high level, very technical sport. You are balancing a car and G forces and gravity. And I don't even know how to describe drifting. It's like you, you, I, I can describe it, but you're going to, you'll probably hit me for it. Like it's, there's, there's, yeah, no, I mean, it, look, it, go ahead. No, I was going to say, there's just so, there's so much there. And I'm so glad you brought that up, man. A mindset, visualization, and understanding where you're headed so that when you are walking that path, you've already seen the stuff already. You already know it's what you expect. I love it. Look, I never had any idea until I hired Ross and, and learned these things and started doing my own study into my brain and reading books. And, um, you know, it, it works. I mean, I've, I've done it in drifting. I've done it in business. Mm -hmm. And I've done it now. You know, I race off-road in Ultra 4. And, um, you, you know, it's, uh, it works every bit of the way. And, um, yeah, you know, but you, you have to believe it wholly. You know, the, Dude, what's the way to, that it works, you can't be half-stepping it, you know? No, no. What's it like? So, actually, you don't want to go back for a second. You were talking about uh, something that brought up ego for me. You know, when you jump out of that car and you're shaking hands and you're entertaining sponsors and you're getting on video and people are talking to you and, and giving you accolade after accolade, how do you manage that ego and that like all these people want me and I'm the best and I'm great and I'm, and I'm up here. And like, how does that not blow your head up? Forget about driving. I'm just talking about coming home. Yeah. Like how is the Vaughn at home different than the Vaughn that jumps in the car? Or are they different? Yeah. Man, that's tough. Cause I, I do get complimented a lot. Like people expect me to be this arrogant jerk off, you know? Sure. And like, I'm so mad at other celebrities for, or I say celebrities, but yeah you know, for like bringing that perspective of being arrogant and like not approachable. And like, for me, yo, I'm just me. Like I'm the same dude that used to cut your lawn for 25 bucks. You know what I mean? Like it, it's just who I am. And like, yeah. I've always stayed true to that. And I think it's just a, a reflection of how I was raised and, and the kind of um, people that I surround myself with um, that, you know, I just, I, I'm so grateful, you know, and like, I've, I acknowledge why I'm able to do the things that I can do. So I always have, even though I, if I don't have time, I have time, you know, I'll yeah. figure it out for you. I'll stay till the end of the event and sign an autograph line till whenever, you know, unless I absolutely have to go somewhere for something, you know, um, you know, I, you know, I, I give back the best that I can, you sure. know, and, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, all I know is how to be me. You know, it's funny. Like I was on a, a, an interview today about a potential TV show opportunity. And like, that's exactly what I told him. Like, Lord, I'm not a script reader. I'm not, uh, an actor, you know, I'm just me. And you know, yeah. obviously you like me because you're, you've called me to do this, but I'm just letting you know, like, there's not a, there's no line. There's no, this isn't happening. Um, you know, yes, I'll have some fun. You know, I have a, uh, a character that I do for some funny things every now and then. And that's just like fun to me, fun, yeah. but that's not on, you know what I mean? Right. Um, 
And, and so, um, yeah, I, I just be me and I'm, I'm, that's the one thing I'm grateful for with my brain is that I'm able to be me. And after all, you know, when I come home from events, man, I'm, I'm this on cloud nine, but still exhausted. But you know, I, I'm just grateful that I can come home and, and just be a normal, normal dude. And I think honestly, a lot of people are that, um, but a lot of them don't show it because maybe they have management or other people controlling them or what they do. And uh, I've never given myself away to that. I've always been involved in everything I do and all of my business and everything still has me. And so it stayed very true to who I am, which has kept me there. I think um, now that I think about that. Yeah. So I got a couple more things. One is you take care of your brain, the vision, the forward progression and the involvement of you. So how do you take care of your body? Is that, are you somebody that, um, obviously I know the answer to this, but I want you to answer this for the, for the, for the audience. Are you somebody that just goes crazy or do you take care of that body? Yeah, I mean, I used to, I mean, you know, from 2000, I mean, for a long time, it was specifically like 04 to 08, 09, 2010. I mean, maybe even longer it was rock stars or race cars. I mean, we yep. were traveling, driving race cars, partying every night. Um, you know, it was, you know, w- what we did. What you did. Um, but yeah, but um, very quickly, you know, after, you know, some simple blood tests, you know, high liver enzymes, high cholesterol, you know, those things were scary to me. And so I started looking into this stuff and started going down a natural holistic approach of, of health versus our standard health systems, uh, you know, uh, sick care. Um, and very quickly made a big shift. And a lot of that is related to uh, my wife and being inspired by her. Um, but, you know, you can be inspired all you want. You have to believe and, and do it. And so for me now, um, I eat a very uh, heavy plant-based diet. Um, I like to say that I'm working out as much as I should, um, but but uh, I still have that struggle of getting away from behind the computer of doing the work that uh, I'm so passionate about doing, which affords me the opportunities that I have. Um, but, you know, um, I eat very healthy, healthier than I ever thought in my life. You know, I just told you I'm mainly plant-based. Like I still eat some meat, but yo, I was a straight carnivore, like <laughs> bacon and eggs every morning, yep. steak and burgers. There would be no greens on my plate and, and my body. And, and some symptoms I was having was starting to be a result of that. And I was on a bad path. And um, I didn't know any better because the education that we get specifically here in America about no. food and health is shit. Junk. And um, – yeah. And, 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 um, you know, now, you know, I take really good care of myself. You know, I'm not perfect and you can't be perfect. I think that's no. the most important thing to know, but I started with little shifts and man started feeling amazing. And, um, you know, I went from someone that partied every weekend, uh, like, you know, I don't I don't even drink really anymore, you right. know? And, um, not because like, I don't like beer, not because I don't, you know, I just don't like, I'm, I'm so up here and everything is firing on all cylinders that I notice when I have a beer or two beers or three beers. But before I didn't, I wouldn't even, I didn't even know. 
And um, so, so yeah, I mean, I, I definitely take care of, of myself, um, you know, especially now having a, a son, you know, I want to be there for him and I want to be, you know, I'm, I'm turning 40 this year. And, uh, you know, to me, 50 is the new 40 and, and, you know, 60 is the new 45. Like that's, that's how I'm living. Sure. And so, um, and, and it, that's not just going to happen. You know, I, I've seen it, you know, my father passed away at 58 years old and uh, he didn't take good care of himself. You know, he lived fast. He died fun and did it his way. And, and I respect that, but, um, I learned from that and that's not what I want to do. Um, you know, I've, I've done it all. I've seen it all. There's, there's not much more. And, and now this new path for me is new and exciting. And, um, it's amazing the places you can get, uh, with that. And so, you know, um, uh, I respect everybody's path and what they're doing. And, you know, I love hanging out with my friends and, you know, um, I just, you know, party in different ways, you know, sure. and, and it just doesn't, it doesn't have alcohol and, um, but you know, sometimes, you know, I will splurge and eat some crappy food, you know, and, um, but it's instead of every day of the week, it might be once every couple of weeks or once a week, you know, and that's my, you know, bad food is now <laughs> is my alcohol, you know, right, like, right, right. And you just find these little trade-offs cause it was challenging for me. I mean, I remember my naturopath when we were, you know, I was doing all this stuff and trying to get my cholesterol down and, you know, realize that, um, you know, it was related to how much meat I was eating. She's like, you need to go on a plant-based diet. And I looked her in the eye and I was like, I'm a meat eater. I'm not going on a plant-based diet. And uh, for those of you that don't know, plant-based does not mean vegetarian. It just means more plant than right. anything else. Plant protein. And, um, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And so um, it's been working very well for me. And, and the other thing too, I've learned through this is that there's not one recipe for everybody. No. You know, all these fad diets and this and that, you'll lose weight, but who knows what else it's doing to you because we all have a system that requires certain things based on genes, based on upbringing, based on allergies we've given ourselves through our choices. Like it's crazy. It's a crazy, crazy hole, yeah. but um, I'm grateful that I went down the path and it's been a lot of work. Um, Huge mindset What's that? It's a huge mindset shift. I mean, you and I, you and I eat very similar. I'm all plant-based. I'll do a little bit of chicken, a little bit of fish every once in a while. But I, in 2004, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease and they said, you've got to cut all these things out of your diet. I thought, well, how the hell do you do that? And it's just about awareness and an education that's different from the kind of the bullshit that we got in school, which is, I mean, frankly, it's, it's literally made by unhealthy people. So we don't follow that. The food pyramid's all BS. And I just started to research well, on my own. Also made by about money. It's also based on money. Yeah, of course. You know, of course. That feeds each other. Yeah. <laughs> that's just opinion. I'm not here to Your argue opinion. that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> my opinion too, man. Um, but no, that's awesome. I, I, I encourage everybody, if you haven't done it, if you really want to understand um, your level of discipline, go 30 days. Just try 30 days. Fuck, try seven days. And cut all the shit that you think is bad out of your diet. And if you don't know it's bad, go find a professional that you trust that helps your body, not like another 35, 40 year old. Like just, find, just go to your body and get that, get that done. I mean, I, I encourage everybody. I mean, dude, the energy that I have, that you have, like it's a, it's a, it's a, it's like a blessing. And I wouldn't trade it. And people are like, "What are you, what are you doing? Are you just eating quinoa and an avocado?" I'm like, "Yeah." You don't want Royal Farms yeah. chicken? I'm like, awesome. damn, do I want Royal Farms chicken right now? But I, <laughs> yes, I, <can't>. I do. <laughs> yes, I do. 
Yeah, and uh, you know, and it's not that you can't. Like I'll have a I'll have a piece of that every now and then. It's not that yep. you can't. It's just it's that balance once you learn it. And speaking of thirty days, I will say the whole thirty yeah, is I love what the whole changed 30. mine and Abby, Abby's life. We met somebody. She we met somebody. I was out with Monster, and we were out, um, you know, partying after an event in New York after a bullfighting event, and we went and had some dinner, and. Um, we were just talking about health and, and, and stuff. And she talked about the whole 30 and recommended to Abby and it changed our life. And in fact, a couple of years ago, I sent the whole 30 to my entire team nice. um, because it was that life changing for us. And, you know, that's one of those things that like, I just said, you know, there's not a recipe for everyone. The whole 30 is for everybody. And that's the start of what enables you to understand and, and start honing things in for yourself. So that was that was huge for us. Yeah, it's a, re, it's a retool of the habits. That's it. You just have to change your habits and your mindset yeah. around it. So all right, and, and wanna... it's amazing too. But you're like, you're, it's amazing too. I want to explain this one one last thing is like sure. people to your point. You're eating avocado and quinoa. Like there's no flavor to that. Well, when you make this shift, your taste buds change. Like the things that you used to love. Like if you were someone, the things that you used to love, you start tasting the things in it that aren't real yeah. or you you start having a different it has a different texture it just doesn't work for you anymore because there's been this this shift and um it's it's really really uh it's really incredible you know i you know there's a place in time for for things um but i think overall again you don't have to be perfect but overall finding a balance that works well for for you and makes you feel good. Like that's the number one thing to go for. Yeah. All right. Let's shift gears for a second. I want to be respectful of your time. Um, dude, let's talk about some fun, man. Your company okay. RTR is some of the most badass vehicles I've ever seen and driven in. And Jason or you have not let me drive one yet. So I can't say I've driven them <laughs> and that, that will, that will happen very soon. Um, but the, the dude, let's talk about RTR, how you started that, what the company's about, um, and then let's talk about Fun Haver as well. And then any any uh, any any races or any promotions or anything you've got coming up, let's make sure we tell our audience about that. Sure, yeah, RTR I think is interesting because it really feeds into for those entrepreneurs here. Um, you know, this is kind of the uh, evolution of like my mindset and my approach, and um, you know, so when I got into the Mustang world, 2005, I started looking to personalize my car and I wanted to look sick. I mean, like part of drifting, like I mentioned, was showing your style and personality. Sure. Well, when I got into the Mustang, everything that I found, you know, to hook it up, the body kits, the hoods, like everything was so old school mindset. And I'm like, nothing speaks to me. And when I say me, I'm, I'm speaking for my generation. Like the guys that are like-minded like me are never going to buy this because they can't hook it up to be them. Right. And part of, of, you know, this car culture and having a car and being into this world, like, like I am and, and you are as someone that loves cars, you know, you want to make your car you. And so, you know, in 05 that happened and continued on and, and, you know, I didn't know the first thing about how to do anything about it, but long story short, 2009, 2008, 2009, I just came up with this concept. I'm like, yo, if no one's going to do cool shit, I'm doing it. Like yeah. plain and simple. And I was like, well, how do I do that? And, and you know, I just figured it out, you know, I partnered up with somebody that does product development 
And um, I am a creative and I know what I like. And so I teamed up with a designer that I know and um, got some stuff out of my head on paper. And, and, you know, here, 2010, we debuted the first Ford Mustang, uh, or 2009, debuted the Ford first Ford Mustang RTR. And, you know, RTR stands for ready to rock. And for me, um, ready to rock is something I said since I'm a teenager. And it just kind of is a lifestyle mindset of like, I'm ready for anything. Like yeah. anything that comes at me, I'm going to approach it and I'm going to handle it. And so we've brought that into our vehicles. And so, you know, we, we debuted the first RTR in 2010, a very modern, aggressive take on, on, on Mustangs, uh, rtrvehicles.com if you want to check them out. And uh, for the last 10 years, we've been, um, you know, become, uh, or over the last 10 years, we've become synonymous with, with names, you know, with guys that have been around for way longer, you know, the Roushes and the Shelbys of the world, you know, we're very connected and work very closely with Ford. And, you know, we've done some badass special vehicle projects and we built Ken Block's Unicorn RTR, uh, the Mustang RTRX, which is my personal vehicle. And most recently, uh, the electric uh, Ford Mustang Mach-E uh, 1400 that we built with our partners at, at Ford Performance. That's insane. It's and, pure insanity. That's the only car that I will not ask you if you can take me for a ride in. <laughs> that thing looks insane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, so what we do is, you know, we take a stock Mustang and we all we sell aftermarket parts for it. Um, and, and we have, you know, turnkey Mustangs that you can buy in different specs. And Ready to Rock translates into all of our vehicles because they're all our Mustangs. So we have Mustangs, Rangers, F-150s. We're going to have Broncos on the way. Um, but the um, Mustangs are fully adjustable suspension if you get a spec two or spec three. You know, you can get a design package, which is just the appearance. You can get our spec two, which has fully adjustable suspension. And spec three is 750 horsepower with a supercharger. Monster. And you can adjust it to go road racing, drifting, whatever you want. And it's ready to rock, you know. And, you know, it all starts for us, you know, when we're doing our design and our mindset for our customers is when they walk out to their car in the morning, we want them to look at what they're about to get into and feel like they're ready to take on the day. And they have confidence and they're ready for anything. And because to me, that's always been an important thing for me. When I get into my car, it feels like me. It's me. And, and I go about my day. And so, um, so, so that's our TR. You know, I, was, I, was, I saw a gap in the market. I wasn't happy with what was, what was there. Nothing spoke to me. And I saw an opportunity to do something different in a world that has been, you know, Mustang is the most iconic sports car in the world. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I believe it's a fact. You know, we could maybe argue it, but, um, you know, and it, it, people, there's just such an old traditional mindset around it. And I wanted something new, but it stemmed from a passion. I wanted it to be cool. Yeah. It didn't start from me wanting to make money. You know, chasing money, I've always found to be a bad thing. And I, I'd started with a passion for Mustang and making Mustang cool to like-minded people like me because it hadn't been uh, until I tried one. And so I wanted people to want to try it. And, um, and so, you know, so that's RTR. And then, uh, you know, Fun Haver is, is, is my other brand, uh, fun-haver.com. And that is, uh, that is stemmed from me finding out, you know, figuring out it probably, I don't know, six years ago, my, my purpose in life or what I believe to be my purpose, which is having fun, 
yeah. and putting smiles on faces and finding fun and inspiring fun and, and people. And so being a fun aver is just what it is. Are you a fun aver? Yes or I, no? I'm if a you're fun not, Well, you might want to be. <laughs> I know you are. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it's just all about, you know, being fun. And, and um, you know, so, you know, our content is just fun. Go to put a, a smile on your face. The products that we sell and produce are support a, a mindset of having fun. And, of course, you know, our merchandise and stuff is just cool, you know, styled, uh, you know, for, for people that, that are fun and want to show that they're fun. You know, we have shirts that say Born to Fun, um, just branded fun average shirts, different logos. And it's just a, it's a mindset. You know, I'll have fun doing anything, and I always do. And I, that's my job as a human. Because yeah. if I'm not having fun, I'm wasting my time, I'm wasting my life. And so that, that you know, I realize that I'm a professional fun aver. Uh, and, and from that, you know, I do drifting, I do off-road, you know, I just have a good time with my friends, I play and, and you know, whatever. And so that kind of inspired me to, to launch the brand Fun Haver. And it's been something that, you know, I haven't put a ton of money towards and haven't marketed. It's just been growing organically, same way I built RTR. And, uh, has really been taken off and uh, you know, a lot of, it's been a lot of fun and I just love people coming up to me like, yo, I'm a fun aver. Like, you know, this is keep it up, you know, and people just, people resonate with it. You know what I mean? And, and it's, it's and it's cool. I just, I like seeing people happy, man. And uh, everything that I do is, is, is that agenda behind it, whether it's my partners, my fans, my family, my friends, if it's boring or it's going to be sad or it's going <laughs> to hurt or affect negatively affect somebody, I'm out. Oh. Um, good times and you're smiling and you got good vibes. I'm in. So what a great philosophy. But yeah, man, that's, uh, what's that? It's such a great philosophy to have. It's so simple yet it can incorporate into everything that you do. Like those freaking electric big wheels that you have, man. Like that shit looks like so much fun. That like it, it, is. It, 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 forget the cars that defines fun. You can't get on a big wheel with plastic wheels in the back that wants to slide around and say that you're bored. You can't, you got a smile on your face or you got no pulse. That's just it, man. Yeah, exactly, man. And, 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 and it's that easy, you know, you could come up with some intricate name, but like, yo, fun haver. I have fun. fun. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't need to be anything. You know, we had this, like, marketing talk. Well, is that the brand? I'm like, yes, that's the brand. Done. Like, it's not even up for discussion. Like, it's what it is. You know, like, let's be real. Like, and that's what this, you know, the world needs more of is more real. And, and that's what Fun Haver is. So, um, you know, everybody that's listening, you know, or watching, check it out. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's it, man. That's, that's my, that's my, that's story. The, the fun that I have to share in a, in a, in a nutshell. <laughs> and I'm, I'm really grateful to, to have the opportunity, you know, anyone that wants to check out what we're doing. Uh, you know, we mentioned, uh, you know, Instagram at Vaughn Gittin Jr. Uh, Facebook uh, at official uh, Vaughn Gittin Jr. Yep. Um, RTR vehicles is the RTR site for anyone looking for a badass Ford vehicle and um, uh, fun-haver.com. And other than that, you can catch me compete eating in formula drift you can catch me uh at ultra four racing uh which is a uh, really badass like the ultimate off-road racing in the world and um yeah anywhere that there's fun going on You're you there. might end up seeing me there freaking love it man well holy shit Vaughn! like i thought i knew you before and bro you are if somebody one did not have fun for this interview today they don't have a pulse two 
If somebody didn't get something out of this freaking interview today, you're out of your mind. Because, dude, you dropped some really great shit today, man. And I am very grateful to have you as a friend and to have you on this show to tell everybody in our audience, which is thousands and thousands of people from all around the world, like your story and share with them your growth, your success, the way you run your life, your philosophies, the way you hone your skills. And dude, just, just the all around attitude you have toward life. I think that's literally, we could have done a whole thing just on fun haver and just your purpose is to have fun and put smiles on people's faces. And just that right there is inspiring. But the, everything else, like, dude, I, I'm, I'm so grateful for you being on here. And, and thank you so much for taking the time. And we've been, we've been well over an hour. So Dude, this is great. This is absolutely great. Um, well, so, thank you, my brother. I appreciate all that. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Well, listen, for all the audience, um, look, Vaughn said where you can find him. We'll put all of it in the show notes. It'll be on the website. We'll mention all of his Instagram, everything, all of his social media stuff, the websites again, uh, and mentalpurposepodcast.com. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm ne- I-, I wasn't always a Ford lover. Like I grew up, my dad was a Chevy guy. So you kind of, you kind of gravitate towards that. But when I saw the RTR Mustang that a buddy of mine has, before I even saw Vaughn's, a buddy of mine has a, an RTR Mustang that's, what is that? Matte black with like neon green wheel lips and like wide body. It is one of the most badass. I, I didn't even oh. think it was a Mustang when the, when the garage opened. I was like, holy shit, what the hell is that? And he goes, that's an RTR Mustang. And I was like, what the hell is an RTR Mustang? I need one of those. <laughs> so you, you gotta, at the very least, you gotta go check out Fun Haver, fun-haver.com and rtrmotorsports.com. Vaughn, it's been a pleasure, RTR brother. RTRvehicles.com. I'm oh, sorry, rtrvehicles.com. Yeah, Word. dude. Thank you, thank you, Ian, man. Appreciate it. Keep up the good work too, man. You're, you're killing it and uh, I, love, I love what you're doing too, man. So keep it up and uh, Thanks, dude. I'll see you soon. Thanks, brother. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Had a blast. Go rewind this, listen to it again, get your pen and pencil out and your paper, take some notes. All right, Vaughn. Thanks, brother. All right, buddy. I'll catch you in a bit. Thanks again for listening to the Men on Purpose podcast, where our mission is to educate, elevate, and activate every man to truly live their best, most fulfilling life possible. To find out more about the podcast, our guests, or becoming a man on purpose, Visit menonpurposepodcast.com and choose your most purposeful path forward.